welcome to Solving for the Undefined podcast. I'm your host, Johanna, founder of Miss Kuiper's Classroom, the place that equips teachers in creating a healthy math classroom where students can thrive, no matter their academic abilities. But it's not always about the numbers, and that's why I'm here, bringing you the formulas to solve your problems, math and otherwise, plus strategies on cultivating that necessary math mindset. And that's what you can count on. Hello, hello. Welcome to a brand new episode. I'm excited to be officially back on the new episode every week train. Woohoo! I hope you're as excited about it as I am, but I understand if you're not. Sort of. Anyway, to start us off, let's go through some announcements. So this week, Tuesday and Wednesday, August 31st, September 1st, is the back to school bonus sale on Teachers Pay Teachers. My store, along with a bunch of other teachers, have their store set to 20% off. That's a pretty great deal. Plus, at checkout, if you use the code BTSBONUS21, you can score up to additional 5% off your purchase. So instead of 20%, you'd be getting 25% off. So this would be a great time to snag some bundles. Bundles are a package deal that sellers will put together that have like group similar resources together. So for example, my geometric transformations bundle. There's nine different transformation activities in there and I've bundled them together so that you can just one stop shop. Plus the reason why it's so great to grab these during a sale is If you were to buy each of those nine geometric transformation activities separately, it would cost you $32. But to save you some money and time finding them all, I bundled them together, which made it $24. That's about a 25-ish percent off discount. But then the TPT sale comes along, which means you can get an additional 25% off when you use the code to that already 25-ish percent discount. Now doing the math, because that's what us mathematicians do, that makes the bundle a whopping 48% off, allowing you to get $32 worth of classroom activities for $18. That's a pretty sweet deal. So make sure that you are checking out that sale on Tuesday, August 31st, to help you prepare for your school year. All right, let's jump into today's episode. So because today is the fifth Monday of the month, today is the Q&A episode, and I have some great questions lined up for you. The first question I'm going to answer is this, how do you structure your teams and what does each role entail? I love this question. First off, I've been using roles or jobs within my teams for the past couple of years, but this year I'm taking it up a notch and being more intentional with them. Previous years, I might have just said, hey, everyone choose a role and make sure you stick to it. Rather than this year, I'm going to be slightly more intentional and I'll explain what I mean by that. And just full disclosure, the structure and the roles come from the curriculum that I use with my accelerated math class. So these did not come from my brain. I wish they had. That'd be a great sign, but they did not. Plus, I've also modified them a little bit to fit my students and what I need for my classroom. So just keep all of that in mind. 
some philosophy behind why I use teams and roles or jobs within those teams is this. I want students to be actively participating in their learning. I want them to be active participants. And when students are working with a team, it creates a setting where students are expected to engage with others, with the problem, with the work, with me as the teacher. It just gives them more accountability to do so. And by giving students specific roles within that team, it gives them a sense of purpose and a clear way of how to participate in team conversations and how to work together. It also allows students to share the responsibility of keeping the team functioning and keeping on task. Now, typically I have four students per team, but that's mostly because there are four jobs that I assign each group. And some of them can be doubled up if you're working with a group of two or three. I know for one of my classes this year, I have many groups of three because I only have 14 students in that class and I wanted to make more groups rather than less groups. So the jobs that we have are task manager, facilitator, resource manager, and reporter recorder. That's one job. There's like reporter slash recorder. And this year to help my students with these roles and keep them accountable, I created name tags. So each name tag has their title, what's expected of them, and some sentences or questions that they can use in their team that pertains to what their job is. In the past, I just had posters on my wall. I still have them for this year, but I think having them also as name tags where they can, when they look at one of their teammates, they see their job, they can kind of keep them accountable as well as have their team keep them accountable for what their job is supposed to be. Oh, another thing is each job has a color. So task manager is red, facilitator is yellow, resource manager is green, and reporter recorder is blue. And the reason why this is is just to help visually for students to see what or who is going to be doing the job. When I use my to-do list slides for my students, I can highlight the text to show who is doing the job. So for example, reporter recorder is in charge of making sure their team is ready for a presentation. So over where it says that on my to-do list, I will highlight that blue so that they know visually like, oh, hey, that's me. I need to be making sure I'm doing that for my team. It's pretty snazzy. So I'll share with you what each team role does and what you would find on the name tag. So job number one is the task manager. The color for this job is red. The task manager is the one who keeps the team focused on the task, hence task manager. They work to keep the team on task and on topic, as well as, my favorite part, stop conversations outside the group. I added this piece in because one year I had a group of students, like a full class of students, who were really, really good friends. And while that is awesome, it made for a lot of classroom management challenges because all they wanted to do was talk with each other and like hang out, get to know each other. And so I needed someone within the groups to kind of help the group stay accountable to staying on task. Hence, the task manager now has that job of making sure to stop conversations outside the group. And lastly, 
they are the ones to call the teacher over to ask a question. I like this part of the task manager's role because it ensures that the group has discussed the question first prior to me coming over to help. That way I know that everyone is like agreeing like we don't know what to do next or we don't understand how to answer this. Let's ask the teacher. Because if I didn't have that, I could have a number of different students working separately inside of a group. And so if one raised their hand, I'd come over and that student asks a question that their neighbor immediately answers. It eliminates that as well as creates a, a trust factor between the team members. Because remember, my goal is to foster independence in the learning process. And by having students do that communication first before coming to me really helps give them that. And then the sample sentences that that student has on their name tag are these three. Does everyone understand how we did this? Let's make sure we're focused. I'll call the teacher over to help us. Okay, job number two, facilitator. And the color for this job is yellow. The facilitator's job is to help the team get started by having someone read the directions or read the problem. This doesn't necessarily mean they are the one to read it, but they are facilitating, hence facilitator, getting it read, if that makes sense. So they can say, so-and-so, read this problem for us, or who would like to read it for the group? By making sure the problem is read together, it can help the team be on the same playing field when the facilitator, their next job, is to make sure that the team members understand the task and know how to get started. And then with that, before the team moves on to the next problem, the facilitator makes sure that each team member can explain how they got the answer and what the answer means in context of the problem. So that way, again, it's just like a full, full circle. Making sure everyone understands what the problem is, and then in the end, how they got their answer and what the answer means in context to the problem. The last duty of the facilitator is to manage time. I keep a countdown timer on my to-do list slides to help teams stay accountable and to give the facilitator something to look at to help their team manage time. Now, I know some people have opinions about using a timer, like it causes anxiety or work avoidance, etc. And I understand that. And I don't use a timer as a gotcha for not finishing activity or not being able to keep up with the rest of the class. It's more so a motivational tool for those who need it or as a reminder to keep students accountable for making sure they're continually working rather than getting off task. And that's something that I make sure my students know ahead of time before I just pop in one day and just use a timer. So we talk about why we use the timer, what it means, and how they can utilize it. And I always adjust the time as needed. So if I see that all of the groups are done or if they're still working, I will change the time for that. It's not set in stone. Okay, that was my tangent. So going back to the facilitator, the sample sentences that you would see on the facilitator's name tag are, okay, blank, read the first problem for us. Does that make sense to everyone? So what is the problem about? So that's the facilitator. Moving on to job number three, resource manager. Resource manager is, again, kind of exactly what the title says. 
They manage the team's resources. They make sure that the team has the necessary supplies and materials that they need for the specific activity. On the back end, they make sure the team has cleaned up and have organized all of their materials and gone back either in the supply bin that we have, their backpacks, the turn-in folder, wherever it needs to go, the resource manager makes sure that the team has done that. The resource manager is also in charge of non-material resources, such as getting input from each team member, as well as being a liaison between me and the team. So there's this one thing that we do in my class called a huddle. And this is, again, from the curriculum. It's not something I made up. There's this thing called a huddle where instead of stopping the entire class to get their attention because I forgot a piece of information or I see that all of them are struggling, I call a huddle. So the resource manager comes over to me. I give all the resource managers either the missing information or I reteach something that they then go back to their team and relay that information. So they are the bearer of the non-material resource called knowledge. Hopefully that makes sense. Now this is different from the task manager's role where that person's job is to bring the team's info to the teacher. It's just a different order of operations. So here are the sample sentences that you would see on the resource manager's name tag. Here's what we are doing, dot, dot, dot. What part of this is making sense? The teacher gave us this additional information. Boom, done. And lastly, job number four, reporter recorder. This job is the ambassador from the team to the whole class or from one team to another team, hence the reporter part. They share the team's results or strategy with the whole class when needed. The reporter recorder also makes sure that each team member understands what information they need to record personally, whether that's on their own worksheet or in their own notebook, etc. Another piece of this role that I mentioned before is when the team is supposed to give a presentation, the reporter recorder helps organize who does and says what in that presentation. Now, the last part of this job is to step into the roles of any absent students. Like if the resource manager is gone, the reporter recorder would step in for them. So here are the sample sentences that would be on the reporter recorder's name tag. What answer did we all get? How do we know that we are correct? So how can we explain our reasoning? And that's it. That's all four roles and what they do within their team. Now to help students with the first few lessons getting used to using these roles, our curriculum outlines exactly what each job should be doing for the team given the problem. It's really nice. It takes a lot of the pressure off of me facilitating all of that learning on their part. Whereas the curriculum gives them like reporter, you're doing this. Resource manager, make sure you have this. Task manager, facilitator, make sure you're doing this. It's awesome. Oh, I forgot to mention. You can download these name tags for free on my website. So I have a colored version. Remember, the roles are color-coded to allow for some classroom structure stuff. And then there's also a grayscale version that you can print on colored paper. So you can still use that colored piece, but you can save ink. 
The download also includes the legend on what jobs are what colors, so you don't have to remember from this episode which one is which. So that's officially it for the team roles and how I do that in my classroom. If you have any follow-up questions, feel free to reach out to me. Either email me at johanna at misskypersclassroom.com or you can find me on Instagram at misskyper. That's M-I-S-S-K-U-I-P as in Peter, E-R. Feel free to DM me. I'm happy to answer whatever questions you have. Okay, moving on to the next question. How do you deal with fast finishers and strugglers in the same class? Oof, that is a tough question and a very good question. So I had to do some research and thinking about it before giving an answer to this. And I'm going to start off by saying that I'm not an expert with this and I'm still learning every year and every day to better serve my students. So I wanted to start off with what activities you should use sparingly or very not often for fast finishers. The first one is helping other students. And I fall into this trap a lot because it's so quick and easy to tell a student, hey, can you go help so-and-so? And it's great to have students help each other. I know that teaching a concept can help better solidify it for a student. And I'm not saying never use it just sparingly. But the reason why to use it sparingly is it can do a disservice to the student who finished quickly to then have to go turn around and help another student. They're there to learn, not to help another student. Some other things to use sparingly are helping the teacher with chores or errands. We want students focused on learning, not being an unpaid assistant. The next one, was kind of convicting, but we don't want them to be doing more work or busy work or non-on-topic activities. Nothing is worse than completing a job to only be assigned more. I saw a TikTok about this, but I won't share it with you like I did in the last episode because it has a curse word and I'm trying to run a clean establishment here. Anyway, if we pile on more work after students finish something else, It can lead to that student disengaging either with the busy work that you gave them or in a future activity because they know that if they finish it, it's going to lead to even more work when they complete it. So what can we do for fast finishers, especially when we have to attend to students who are struggling with on-grade level math? The first thing I'd say is don't be afraid to structure your classroom to where it's not expected for everyone to be doing the same thing. I love incorporating choice boards or giving a student the element of choice in my classroom. So for a particular lesson, I might have one main activity that students complete, and then they get to choose two from a list of similar activities or that are on topic of what we're doing. And then I can modify to allow the strugglers in my classroom to choose just one activity. One thing you can do is on those choice boards or having students choose from a list is make some of the options open-ended questions where there's more than one way to find a solution or maybe it has multiple solutions. You can find some ideas at openmiddle.com. I'll link it in the show notes on my blog. The reason why I love open middle type questions 
is it allows students given parameters to work on something that they don't have a finite answer for. So for example, one of the ones for eighth grade is given the point three, five, use digits one through nine at the most one time to find the point blank blank that maximizes the slope of the line that passes through those two points. The slope cannot be undefined. This type of problem is going to take a lot of trial and error for the student to be able to complete. By giving the opportunity to have this trial process, they're learning from their mistakes or their failure to complete the problem to better understand it and complete it. I know I always go back to Thomas Edison and the light bulb, but when he couldn't complete the light bulb the first time, he didn't give up and move on. He then used those mistakes to then make a better light bulb. That one didn't work, so he made another one. So it's trial and error to figure out how to do it, but it's also giving you the practice of what ways don't work. That's why I like open middle type problems. To build on that, I love this idea from Angela Watson of creating a quarterly fun packet that students work on if they finish early. So you can add those open middle questions to that so you don't have to create something new every lesson. You can just have a packet of activities that they work through. The way Angela Watson structures these can also help with building those scaffolds in your classroom. So what she does is creates three versions of the packet so students are getting differentiated practice based on where they are on grade level. So below grade level, on grade level, and above grade level are the three different versions. And they're all very similar packets. There's just, it's differentiated per level. And the things that can go in the packet, again, are like open middle type problems, Sudoku puzzles, logic puzzles, etc. Anything that gets the brain going that's not necessarily off topic or busy work. And I'm definitely going to start incorporating these into my classroom because I love this idea. I do something similar in my classroom, but I think I'm going to change it now that I've researched and seen what she does. But I normally give like a spiral review sheet for students. So I give students a sheet a week that they can complete when they finish early. And then whatever they don't finish in class becomes homework. And I don't grade the homework for anything but participation and completion, but that stance can be another episode. So on the flip side, let's talk about the students struggling with on grade level math. How can we work with them as well as fast finishers? Sometimes we get fast finishers because we are staying too long on a single concept that some students are continually to struggle with. So to that, I give this advice. Figure out what the hang-up point is. What is tripping up those students to the point that they are struggling? Is it the computational aspect? Is it the lack of foundational skills like inverse operations or graphing? Or is it a language barrier? Figure out what it is and start there. So here's an example that I had in my classroom. I had a group of students who were struggling graphing linear equations. They knew how to start with the y-intercept, but they were struggling with what to do next. They understood that slope was part of it, but they didn't understand how it related to them actually graphing it. So for those students, I created a guide to help them figure out what to do next. 
And if you were part of the Reignite the Math Classroom Conference, you got this from me in the bundle of resources that we gave you. So on the guide, it walked them step by step from once they have that y-intercept, what to do next. And it gave three different examples. It gave an example with a fraction, a whole number, and then a negative value and what the difference was between each of those. So now those students can have something tangible that they worked with to help guide them on their activity. And that's not a supplement everyone needed, but that group of students did. So creating this guide allowed my students to be able to complete the activity about maybe roughly the same time as the rest of the class. Maybe that didn't fully answer the question, but that's how I would kind of navigate a class where I have fast finishers as well as students who need that extra scaffolding. Again, if you have any follow-up questions or thoughts, feel free to either DM me on Instagram or send me an email. I'm happy to continue to be a thought partner with you as we both continue to wrestle what it means to work with both sides of the students. Okay, that's all I have for you for today's episode. It's my first ever Q&A episode. I hope you found it helpful, especially for those who asked the questions. So with that, I'll calculator. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. To find all the links and resources to things talked about in this episode, head on over to MissKuypersClassroom.com and click on podcast.